Hello, and welcome to the RA Exchange. I'm Chloe Lula, your host. Thanks so much for joining me. In honor of International Women's Day, which fell yesterday on March 8th, today's episode is an audio documentary about the fight for women's rights in Iran. The most recent wave of protests began following the death of Masa Amini, a 22-year-old woman from the northwestern Kurdish city of Sakez, who was arrested by Iran's morality police for not wearing her headscarf in accordance with government standards. The circumstances of her death were suspicious. While authorities deny beating Amini and insisted in a statement that the cause of death was sudden heart failure, Eyewitnesses, including women who were detained with Amini, reported that she was severely beaten and that she died as a result of police brutality. It sparked a series of protests described by CNN as more widespread than the protests in 2009, 2017, and 2019, and by the New York Times as the largest Iranian protest since at least 2009. To Iran this evening, deadly protests sweeping across that country after the death of a young Iranian woman while in the custody of the morality police. Videos filmed by demonstrators show women burning their headscarves or hijabs and cutting their hair. Clashes between police and protesters turning deadly. At least 17 have been killed. It's the first time that our nations, that so many people in our nations are um, united, regardless of their political beliefs before revolution and after revolution. And yeah, so I'm really proud to be here today. Iran introduced a mandatory dress code for women in accordance with their interpretation of Islamic standards a short time after the Iranian revolution of 1979. This most recent wave of protests has brought together female rights supporters and Iranian non-Persian ethnic minorities like the Azerbaijanis, Kurds, Arabs, Turkmens, and Baluchs, who make up more than half of Iran's population. Protesters have been shot in the streets, and many dissidents have been imprisoned and sentenced to death, often under vague accusations of colluding with foreign governments, waging war against God, or following unlawful moral conduct. While shows of solidarity have emerged in cities around the world, the situation there continues to worsen. As of this recording, there are investigations being deployed against the suspected poisoning of dozens of Tehranian schoolgirls, and public figures and musicians who have spoken out against the government have been sentenced to death. In this episode, I unpack some of these developments and interview women who shed insight into the state of affairs and the role of music and the arts in giving a voice to change. As a jumping off point, I'll talk to RA staff writer Anu Shukla about a news feature she wrote in November about the protests when they first emerge and how they affected Iranian musicians around the world. But I took some time to talk to some more women from Iran, too, including the musicians Azin Zahedi, Farinaz Hatam, and a third woman who asked to be removed from this episode for her safety and the safety of her family. Thanks for joining me today. Let's dive in. The Iranian protest movement demanding democratic reform has been accumulating in strength for decades, and the recent government crackdowns have only intensified the effort. Speaking to resident advisor, DJ and producer Ada said the protests are the greatest we've seen in 44 years. This gives me hope, she says. International sanctions against Iran, which were first imposed by the US in 1979, have also intensified as a result of the crackdowns and are impacting people, not the authorities, says Ada. 
but she said these aren't the focus for most Iranians in a climate where extreme violation of human rights is taking place. Last month, Iran-based hip-hop artist Rudy and another act who chose not to be named for security reasons were denied visas to play Berlin festival Tehran Contemporary Sounds. The German embassy in Tehran said there was insufficient evidence to show the artists would return to Iran. Resident advisor has approached the embassy for comment. Speaking to RA, the anonymous act said artistic voices are needed now more than ever, and by refusing visas, Western governments are as oppressive as the Iranian regime. They have appealed the embassy's decision, but have yet to receive a reply. They tell me, quote, unquote, We feel there is no place on earth for us, not even in our own country. We don't need plastic solidarity of words alone. Hi, Chloe. Thanks for inviting me to take part in this conversation. And thank you so much to our listeners for plugging in. I work full time for Resident Advisor as a news writer, though I come from a background in freelance journalism, where I frequently touched on issues around the geopolitical climate uh, for various news media organisations. This was mainly because of the time I spent writing about Rohingya refugees from Myanmar living in the camps of Bangladesh, I've also written about the impact of draconian visa policies on asylum seekers in the UK. And at times, I've also touched on the resounding effects of British colonialism. So when I write for RA these days, I find it uh, fascinating to sometimes observe the correlation between music, rave culture and political activism. Can you begin by providing some context around the news feature that you wrote and what provoked you to write it in the first place? We were aware that the protests had been going on for about a month. Then we spotted an Instagram post by a Berlin-based festival called Tehran Contemporary Sounds. These guys had booked three Iranian artists to play at the event, but the artists were refused visas. So we decided to follow up with those artists and find out what happened and discovered that the German embassy had refused Uh, visas to the Iranian artists on the grounds that they might not return to Iran. Um, It was quite an interesting response from the German government, considering the fact that 80,000 people had converged in Berlin to support Iranians in Iran not so long before. I think like, you know, this refusal of visas is uh, indicative of how international sanctions can take a toll on civilians while failing to diffuse geopolitical tensions. Um, it's something that's been highly frustrating for some of the artists that I spoke with, spoke with. They hear about solidarity from the West, but they don't really feel it. Like we're not like walking the talk. We, we're going out and protesting, but that's not the the sentiments of people on the ground protesting isn't really being reflected by you know the international community, the international governments. Um, so yeah. Like one of the artists who I spoke with, uh, whose visa was turned down, um, he referred to this as plastic solidarity. So anyway, we decided to speak with other Iranian artists, both in Iran and outside of the country, to find out how they've been affected by the sanctions. But of course, the story goes beyond um, the impact of sanctions. It's also about the oppression endured by people in Iran, um, though we can say that all components of the story are interconnected. So yeah, that's that's what kind of happened. Could you briefly summarize the origins of the current Iranian political regime and its stance towards feminism and human rights? 
Uh, yeah, the origins of the current Iranian political regime stem from the 1979 Islamic Revolution that overthrew the Shah. It's actually interesting to go back a bit further into the Shah's reign, back into 1953, when the democratically elected Prime Minister Mohammad Mossadegh nationalized the oil industry, and he was then overthrown from his post as Prime Minister. Um, in a move that was orchestrated by the US and the UK. And this was all under the Shah's rule, who was um, kind of considered a bit of a Western puppet and a tyrant. Then 26 years later, the Islamic Revolution took place. And this was followed by Saddam Hussein's invasion of Iraq that triggered a devastating eight-year conflict. Um, so I've spoken with Professor Arshin Adib Magadam from the Department of Politics and International Studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies. And he tells me the current protests that we see are an extension of the historical battle for democracy and human security in Iran. Um, and he says, quote, unquote, this is one of the most highly educated civil societies in the world that simply won't yield to the use of brute force. Neither does such a society uh, accept anyone speaking on its behalf. So now looking looking at Iran today, Masa Amini is considered a symbol of gender equality. And according to reports, some women, or maybe even more than just a, some, just a few women, are not wearing the hijab in Iran right now. Um, there's been videos that have been circulating on Twitter, like, you know, women in the streets of Tehran without their hijabs, uh, even though it's mandatory. And this seems to be showing, um, this appears to be like a new form of, um, of, of civil disobedience. My understanding is that Masa Amini was detained by Iran's morality police. Can you provide some more information about what the morality police is and how they operate on the ground in Iran? Um, they make sure women are wearing their headscarves properly. Um, people have been addressed for allegedly not complying with this rule. In your piece, you touch on some artists and musicians who have been affected by the situation in Iran. Um, what are some of the primary ways the musicians have been affected by the crackdowns against protesting and the international sanctions against Iran that you already mentioned? It's evidently been very tough for people living in Iran because they seem to be caught in this geopolitical crossfire where they've been at the brunt of sanctions so they can't leave the country, as demonstrated by the artists who try to get visas to go to Germany for the event in Berlin, for the Tehran Contemporary Sounds event. Yet at the same time, you know, the artists in Iran tell me that it's also risky to, to protest in case they get arrested. So the people that I spoke with, those artists, they didn't get arrested, but they were quite concerned about speaking publicly about the situation, which is why some of them spoke with me anonymously. Have you circled back with any of your interview subjects since last speaking with them for the piece? And if, if you did, do they have any updates on the situation? Uh, yes, I did actually circle back with some of them. Um, artists who were denied visas by the German embassy uh, appealed the decision. So I reached out to them to see if they'd had a response. They tell me their letter has been acknowledged, but they still haven't had any concrete re reply from the German embassy. Um, and then so about the situation on the ground, some of my sources tell me that approximately 20,000 people have been arrested since I last wrote the story back in November when we reported that 15,000 at that time had been arrested, so up by about 5,000 arrests. Um, though people I spoke with say that it's likely to be higher than that. 
Um, I was also told that there's been a bit of an energy crisis, which I guess is happening anyway in the world. But apparently over there, there are energy issues with gas scarcity, meaning temporary closure of factories and schools. Um, so it's, it, got, it does go quite far. And my sources tell me there's also job shortages and that the Iranian dollar is decreasing in value. Um, and as I've, as I've been told, there's currently a decreased general quality of life all over the country. So yeah, that's the news from the ground at the moment, apparently. One of the most dramatic updates to this story since you first reported it is that the government has begun executing protesters on charges of quote-unquote waging war against God. You write in your piece that artists who have publicly stood in solidarity with protesters like the Kurdish rapper Saman Yasin have been sentenced to death. Do you have any updates on their specific situations? Um, so about the Kurdish rapper Saman Yasin, good news on that front is that he won his appeal. Um, at the same time, others have not had the same luck. Alariza Akbar was executed just recently. Several others have also faced the same fate. But protesters continue to challenge the regime, though I've been told the number of protests has been diminishing in number. You also write that there are a number of solidarity protests that erupted around the world in November. To your knowledge, are there ongoing international efforts to incite the Iranian government to move towards democratic reform? I think international efforts could be seen from the perspective of people, as in people power, and also from international governments, the international community, which inevitably has the most clout in affecting any kind of positive change. But I don't believe that the so-called international effort, like sanctions, for example, are going to incite the Iranian government in the way that you suggest. Sanctions, as we've historically seen, and as uh, also demonstrated by the artists in our story, seem to only take a toll on the people of Iran and not in a good way. On the flip side, if we look at international attention from global protest movements, their rise and fall appears to be in synchronicity with, the, with their exposure in the media. And this shows how powerful the media can be in affecting public opinion. And if we, if we look at the world, there are so many human rights violations and abuses taking place everywhere. And so many people fighting for freedom, for their right to self-determination. You know, the West Papuans, um, um, indigenous people have been fighting for many, many decades. You know, the um, Rohingya people uh, from Myanmar, you know, trapped in Bangladesh, nowhere to go. They've been fighting for, for eons as well, you know. So, well, eons is a bit of an exaggeration, but you get my gist. You know, there's, there's so many. Um, Yet many of them don't get the same exposure. Sometimes you have to wonder why. On that note about the power of the media um, and coming from the perspective of, you know, we're both working for a music media outlet, I think it can be tempting to view the arts as frivolous or unnecessary within the context of a global crisis. But how would you argue that music and art actually amplify or reflect issues related to politics and human rights? Music has always been a powerful tool for flying the flag for social justice. Techno, uh, for example, came from Detroit, where music was a response to the AIDS epidemic, to poverty and to racial discrimination. It's something I was honoured to discuss quite extensively with Cornelius Harris from Underground Resistance. 
one of the pillars of Detroit techno. Um, techno was co-opted by sound systems in Europe and the UK, which also represented working class socialist values with uh, the likes of Spiral Tribe and then the whole free party movement, a kind of symbol for social equality in broken Britain under the rule of Thatcher, you know, um, when Acid House became a response to this draconian um, leadership of, of, uh, of Margaret Thatcher um, and all the, all the hostility that existed um, against minorities and, and marginalised people. Uh, dub reggae, jungle, hip hop, you know, they've all got political roots and often defined by conscious lyrics and subcultural movements. And then, you know, you get events like Notting Hill Carnival, which were born from political protest against institutional racism and police brutality against black people. Like, in fact, Carnival itself was a response to the racially motivated 1959 murder of Kelso Cochrane a carpenter from Antigua. So in answer to your question, yes, music is critical to amplifying our voices and raising awareness. The anarchist punk movements have their roots in music too. And I think listening with apathy and silence can make us complicit to an extent. Listening to music consciously and recognizing its relevance is, is critical. And like Skin from Skunkanansky rightly tells us, yes, it's fucking political. Everything's political. I, I think, I mean, I had several experiences with that, but I think the one that um, is still very strong for me was my last experience with them when I was already living in Germany. This is Azin Zahedi, a Berlin-based musician born and raised in Tehran who specializes in classical and traditional Persian music. She's had a few personal run-ins with Iran's morality police. I was going out with my mom for her birthday. I wanted to invite her to a brunch. We wanted to have a mother-daughter day. And um, we took a taxi to go to this place when I want, where I wanted to get her, take her. And um, then uh, I, we just left the car, but the taxi, it was on a bridge and it was very windy. So through the wind, my scarf just fell for really like five seconds. And uh, my bad luck was that exactly in this moment, the car of the morality police passed. So they saw me without a scarf and they literally kidnapped me because they closed the door and the woman screamed, drive. So my mother was in the middle of the street. Uh, it was so fast that it, like, it took both of us some time to realize what happened. So her daughter just got kidnapped in front of her eyes. And it was really, it was such an absurd experience because I mean, I don't know, it, it like, I, I simply didn't have the scarf for five seconds. And um, it took, I think six hours until they released me, but it was really very tough six hours because yeah, they behave like you are, I don't know, a criminal. So I had to hold like something in my hand, uh, like you see in the movies uh, and they made pictures of me from every side. And um, um, I couldn't get out with my clothes that I have because it was not proper clothes. Um, and so my mother had to 
buy, find some things that were super, super like XXXX large. So it doesn't show anything on my body. Oh. Yeah, it was a crazy thing. It was a crazy experience. I went to an exhibit at the Barbican, which was called Rebel Rebel. It celebrates and commemorates feminist icons from pre-revolutionary Iran. And part of the exhibition discussed how brave female actresses and writers and musicians were for having public careers in the arts, especially since women were barred from performing in public. And I was wondering, like, is that still true? And to your knowledge, how has the climate changed for women in the arts between then and now? Well, um, I mean, it, it is partially true that um, there are a lot of restrictions for women to perform. Um, what is definitely um, true is, for example, women cannot sing um, when there is men in the audience. So there are such concerts from women singers for women audience but um it's not possible to sing in a let's say normal normal concert for a woman alone then in a choir you can sing or if there is a man singer a male singer you can also sing but anyway it's a little bit stupid and complicated but um i know it from friends that um obviously it's very it's very difficult. I remember, for example, um, a friend who is a cellist in Tehran, she was telling me that um, she never thought about this until the, some months ago when this um, uprising revolution or this revolution uh, in process happened. And that whenever she was on stage, um, I mean, obviously as a musician on the stage, you have always a little bit of adrenaline stress. Um, but she was telling me that it was never clear to her how much extra stress she had that while playing, she had always to think my scarf cannot fall. And I mean, it's, it's such a stupid thing to think about. Um, but there is always this extra something that you have to worry about that is a veil on your head or i don't know how for example you cannot dress um things that somehow show your body or that are too tight um, if you are on the stage it has to be yeah like it, it cannot be like that so i would say women have very difficult life somehow i mean you have to get used to it if you want to live there because you cannot fight with it every day but it is still there i mean um maybe unconsciously but the stress this worry is always there for performance um who are on stage mm. it doesn't matter if you're a musician or a or an actress or singer um it's always there and I think it's um, yeah it's a it's a quite big thing for for the women over there that you don't always only think about your art but also how you're looking on stage like from a religious point of view. How difficult is it 
to leave the country if you want to? Um, I mean, it changed a lot. When I moved out, it actually it was not very difficult because um, the economical situation was still, it was still acceptable and it was somehow um, in a way that you could manage to go out. The visa situation was not very difficult because the diplomatic relations were not as bad as they are today. Uh, but I know that today it's really, really, really difficult for people from many points of view. Like it's very difficult to get a visa. It's very difficult to get an appointment for a visa because there is so much request that like everyone wants to go away, everyone, literally everyone. <laughs> so, um, and then again, um, it's very difficult to have the money because I remember when I wanted to move to Germany and the embassy was asking me to have 8,000 euro on my bank account before leaving, like it, it is like blocked money or whatever. And back then it was a lot of money, but it was okay. But now it's crazy, a lot of money. Like people have to sell, I don't know, their car or maybe their small apartments to to somehow have the money then you have also problems to find euro like the the current the the money the cash so there are so many problems it's really it's really not easy to live nowadays mm -hmm. and um, since the uprising began i heard from some friends that even though they wanted to study even though they had the money um they didn't get a visa because um countries some countries in Europe are worried that these people come here and they want to stay as refugees. So I guess that kind of brings me to the most recent uprising and everything that's happened since Masa Amini's death. How have you felt about it and the wave of protests and um, what have friends of yours who are still living there said about what's happened over the last few months? I mean, um, when it happened, like the day um, I heard, I saw on Instagram that um, Gina Amini, Gina Massa Amini um, died. Um, I was very sad that, that something like this happened because of, I don't know, stupid veil. Um, and, but then this, I mean, also anger and, um, yeah, many, many feelings. It's very, it was very um, tense because, um, yeah, it's connected to many, many feelings and many experiences. But then when it started, the uprising, um, obviously it was also, um, there was a light suddenly. There was um, this feeling of, wow, it doesn't have to stay like this. There is a way of maybe changing the situation if we stay together in this and if um, really people go on the street and show their anger and what they want. Um, so somehow those negative feelings became less. They are still there, but um, they changed somehow and uh, they became more um, a constructive energy, I would say, like everyone was suddenly also here on the streets in Berlin. I mean, you heard probably about this 
huge demonstrations that was in Berlin. It was very difficult to, to be away. Uh, my friends were very active um, on the streets in Tehran. Um, and then they would post something like, okay, I'm going out. If you don't hear anything from me, you know what happened to me or make it go viral, say my name, um, these things. And it was weird because here you're safe. I mean, you go on the street, you demonstrate, but nothing can happen to you. And it was a weird feeling, it's a strange feeling. Do you have any sense of how the situation has escalated, um, if they're cracking down more or if it seems hopeful that there's actually maybe going to be change because of this new wave of resistance? I think it might take more time than we thought in the beginning, but I'm 100% sure that it will change something. I don't know if this regime will be gone. This is something that I I really don't know. I'm not an expert also of mm. um, this field. But what I am I know for sure is um, it has changed something in the people and in their hope. I heard it from my parents also that um, you see so many people smiling suddenly on the street. I mean, people are not in good situation. The economics are the economy is going down like never. It's it's crazy. You wake up and things are two times more expensive and the life is really not good. But this hope, I think it will um it will bring change because um yeah, people somehow experienced maybe for some days, maybe for some moments, maybe for some seconds, freedom. And I think as soon as you sense freedom, you go for it. Do you have any sense of how what's been happening there has impacted the arts and artists, especially female artists? Well, I think actually for um, both Iran, uh, both inside and outside, I think there is a sense of unity now that maybe before there never was. I, I heard it me myself but also um i talked about it with friends especially here um somehow i was always escaping the iranian community i don't know why but i didn't i never wanted to be somehow part of it uh, but since these things happened i see so many um so much unity and also so many artists working together finally suddenly like um I think we um, we have a sense of us that maybe before it was more like me as an artist um, that maybe yeah it also changed somehow the um, yeah the 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 art or um, the the meaning of the art artists are doing and I I know that inside Iran it's very difficult to express yourself especially if it is about somehow connectable to what's going on 
probably you will be in jail, uh, very probably. So I think um, for them it's not easy to really express it in in their art. Um, but still, I think somehow everyone is inspired by this. There is so, so, so much creativity um, going on uh, also, in, especially inside Iran. I imagine also because of the um, oppression, it is, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy how much, how much um, they produce, how much art they produce. I mean, it already almost everywhere on the news, but um, there are at least two singers that are uh, in danger of execution. And they're both both uh, rap singers that um, sing like social rap, uh, political social rap. If you do something they don't like, it can end very bad for you. So they have been sentenced to death because they wrote songs about the protests. Yes. Wow. Mm. I interviewed another Iranian musician for this piece who ultimately asked to be removed from the episode for fear of the government's retribution for her speaking out. <laughs> Have you ever gotten any pushback um, from from Iranian authorities, or have you been, um, yeah, like, have there been any consequences to being so um, outspoken? Because a lot of the problems that a lot of people have outside of Iran is that um, if they have family still in Iran, they worry about their family. Because it's not unusual that if you're politically active outside of Iran, that your family will not be in danger, especially close relatives and family. So this is why she doesn't even want to mention. She's in the process of trying to relocate her daughter from Tehran to Germany, and she was afraid of what the government might do if they heard her in this episode. Instead, I spoke with her translator, fellow Berlin-based experimental musician Farinaz Hatam, who shed some additional insight into what the protests have meant for Iranian women living in and outside of the country at this time. Um, I left Iran when I was 12 years old, and it was pre-revolution at the time that I left. So I have never lived under Islamic law or Islamic rule. I'm not sure what the relationship, like the Kurdish minority... The kind of like Arab minorities there are really oppressed and are not being employed and are highly unemployed. So it's kind of like a quite oppressive regime. And usually even all the, a lot of the executions that are happening are happening mostly in the minority groups. So it's really targeted. Is all of that due to the current wave of protests or? The most unusual thing about this last um, series of demonstrations is that a lot of women are taking off the hijab and there's also not only that, but they're also being uh, supported by oil workers, merchants, 
and different classes of uh, workers. So it's not like an isolated event in which only Iranians that are concerned about the wearing of hijab are getting uh, involved. It's, it's really much more complex than that. I think it's easy for um, Western viewers to identify with why the veil should be removed because it is a control of women's bodies. But it's not really only just about that. It's far more complex than that on the levels that people are suffering economically through inflation, lack of heating, um, the inability to buy food, the, uh, the inability to get food into Iran. Like there's a lot of things that are not available right now. And so there's a lot of things that are people are demonstrating about. It's not simply only the hijab. And this is all kind of compounded by the fact of the sanctions, which actually affect more the private citizens, also the government, but also the citizens are really suffering under the sanctions. What I wanted to say, maybe it's unknown uh, outside of Iran, is that um, if you want to do anything in Iran, you have to get permission. So if you want to have an event that has music, um, you have to get the permission of the government. And they have to agree that your music falls within the moral codes of Islamic law before you're able to get permissions to actually have a concert. Mm. And this becomes more problematic when the concerts are mixed gendered concerts. Mm. And right now, it's very difficult to get those permissions because they're just not giving them, because they're really cracking down. So the, the retaliation of the government and their tactic has always been that they just double down. They double down by executing more people, shooting demonstrators on the streets, um, extreme acts of violence, because when you instill fear in people, then you deter others from following suit. And they're trying very hard to, to keep it together because the moment that they allow people certain freedoms, it looks weak. It looks like they've given in, and it means that it's the end of their reign. And that happened exactly with the Shah in 1979 because he basically decided to step down and step away because he noticed that, you know, it was very clear after years of demonstrations that people are very unhappy with him and he was very unpopular for many decisions that he took. And also they had shot demonstrators. They had uh, something called the Savak, which was imprisoning a political dissidents. So these things are kind of like a repetition within Iranian history. It's not, uh, it's not like, let's just say like now a new thing. I don't. I don't know if there is anything that you um, wanted to add, just about the role of the arts and music, in or if there's any responsibility that you feel as a musician living outside of Iran. I think it's really easy for people outside of Iran to uh, also people in the diaspora to expect things of Iranian artists. I don't know what I would do if my life was on the line. You know. So I think it's actually very brave because a lot of athletes that people follow that have actually the ability to reach a lot of people have been kind of quite uh, vocal about uh, what they think. And um, a lot they, they really actually have the power to get a lot of people behind them. But of course, they're suffering the ramifications of that. Either they're imprisoned or um, if they've left Iran and are in exile, their property is confiscated and their families are in danger. Or um, they're not allowed to uh, 
participate in their professional life like they used to be able to, or they're awaiting execution. So these are the outcomes. And I don't know if me from the outside can sit here and expect anything from people in Iran, to be quite honest. Do you feel hopeful about the situation there? I really did in the beginning. I have to say I was so excited when the demonstrations were happening and people were taking to the streets. And um, I recently met someone that had been in Iran and she told me that um, women in Tehran are not really wearing the veil anymore. Like a lot of them have taken it off and it's not being enforced simply because it's just too many people and they cannot arrest everyone and they can't enforce it on everyone. But the situation of women goes, like we said, far beyond just whether you can wear the hijab or not. But it is this, you know, uh, conflict uh, that has to do with the regulation of uh, women's bodies that has been at the core of the, um, of the Islamic Republic's main agendas. So by controlling women, they, they also are um, somehow solidifying their power within the society. So this is this this is definitely problematic but there's a lot of other like legal issues about whether women can divorce, whether they can have uh, their children post divorce and whether the children don't go to the to the family of the husband which actually forces a lot of women to stay in very unhappy marriages. Uh, domestic violence is not actually prosecuted whatsoever. So a husband can do anything to his wife that he wants and it's not prosecuted. Um, examples of like not being able to leave Iran because a woman does not have rights to her own passport without the, the permission of her husband. She's not allowed to leave the country. So a lot of these things are actually more at the core of the problem. But the hijab is definitely like to the outside, very visible. So, I mean, yeah, I was very hopeful. I think a lot of Iranians outside of Iran are very hopeful that things will change. But with all the executions, like, I don't know how I would react if I was living there. I don't know how active I would be myself. It feels like we're at an inflection point amid a series of concurrent international crises. And it can be difficult during times like these to make sense of everything that's going on. But music and the arts can be powerful tools to give a voice to oppressed minorities and to express a spirit of protest. It can also be a galvanizing force for activism and change. At the Grammys last month, the Iranian protest song Barayye, which translates to For the Sake Of, won an award for sparking social change. The song weaves together messages posted on Twitter about the reasons for the protests. It became a viral hit on different social media platforms with millions of views within days. And it ends with a widely chanted slogan that has become synonymous with the protests since Amini's death. For women, life, freedom. Please look in this episode's notes for links to artists and resources you can consult to help support Iranian artists and the protest movement. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the RE Exchange for more updates. Until next time, happy International Women's Day, and take care. برای تصویر تکرار این لحظه برای
چهره ای که میخنده برای دانش آموزا برای هاینده برای این بهشت اجباری برای نخبه های زندانی برای کودکان افغانی برای این همه برای غیر تکراری برای این همه شعار های تو خالی برای آوار خونه های پوشالی برای احساس آرامش برای خورشید پس از شبای طولانی برای غرصای حساب و بیخوابی برای مرد میهن آبادی برای دختری که آرزو داشت پسر بود برای زن زندگی آزادی